Welcome to Crypto Clarified, Investing in the Truth, a podcast series where we come together each month to discuss the most captivating headlines and trends from the investing in crypto space. My name is Benjamin Dean. I'm director in WisdomTree's digital assets team, and I'm joined by my co-host, Camilla Russo, who's founder of Defiant Media, and our special guest, Drew Robinson, head of institutional sales, EMEA at Coinbase. Cammy, how are you doing? I'm great, Ben. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having us here. <laughs> Cammy, you're on the road as well this week. Uh, mm-hmm. What's taken you uh, to where you are? Well, this is, you know, pretty wild. It came about uh, kind of last minute, but I'm here um, to talk about crypto with the Pope <laughs> on Thursday. Um, oh, wow. so yes. Um, Vatican NFTs. So, well, I can't claim that I'm doing anything nearly as exciting as that, but we also have another special guest this week, Drew Robinson, who's the head of institutional sales, EMEA at Coinbase. Drew, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ben. Excited to be here. Can't say that I'm anywhere uh, nearly as exciting as uh, Camilla being in, in Rome with the Pope, but uh, nonetheless here in London. So happy to, uh, happy to join you guys today. Excellent. Well, in today's episode, we're going to cover a few different topics. It has not been a quiet week in the crypto and digital asset space, as if it ever is. But we're going to cover some events from the past week that I'm sure listeners will be interested in hearing our thoughts on. Luna and the UST stablecoin. What happened there? Then we're going to turn and think a little bit about the broader macro environment in which we find the crypto space. All right. True. As I said, thank you for joining us. Could you just take a few seconds to uh, introduce yourself to the audience, let them know how you got involved in the crypto space, what you first thought was like the big potential uh, initially, and then uh, we'll just go for it. Let's, uh, let's hear your experiences and your story. Yeah, yeah. Thanks again. Uh, thanks again, Ben and Camilla, for having me. So, yes, yeah, so, no, so Drew Robinson, uh, I look after the uh, core institutional sales team at Coinbase in uh, Europe, the Middle East and Africa for us. I've been with Coinbase now for the last, just over four years actually. So it's been a, been, a, been a wild ride. Prior to that, most of my background is in traditional finance. So I started off trading interest rates at Lehman Brothers and then 2008 happened and that business joined up, moved into cash equities trading and cash equity sales at several different investment banks. Uh, took a break from finance and went into strategy consulting actually after business school. So that was in in 2016, that's what originally brought me to London from New York. And it was at that time that I became involved in, in crypto. Uh, I was working in strategy consulting and spending most of my time in the Middle East and Abu Dhabi, as well as uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, working with sovereign wealth funds as well as corporates. And a lot of these sovereigns or corporates had these core legacy positions within the oil and gas or natural resources space. And they were looking to diversify out of you know, positions that were negative ROIC or whatever it may be into something that was a bit more growth. And so at the time, a lot of our recommendations were focused around investing in AI or in Bitcoin, really, like it really kind of existed at the time, kind of at, at scale. Uh, that led me down my own rabbit hole, so to speak, where I started trading crypto PA and thought that it was fairly interesting, uh, but still didn't really kind of dig deep enough into it. Fast forward, I guess, two years from then, I was working uh, on a pro bono case uh, in, in Kenya with the tele- telecom company that was involved or are involved in mobile payments. And they were having issues getting mobile payments adopted kind of at mass scale because 
lot of the Kenyan economy is what, what's considered informal, right? So you go and you buy a piece of food or you buy uh, a newspaper for, for a few bobs or for a few shillings, whatever it is, to pay using the mobile payments. It was too many steps. It was clunky. It wasn't great. And I remember a colleague at the time saying, uh, you know, we can probably tag these transactions using the blockchain. And then it kind of hit me again. And I kind of went back to the Bitcoin, and the blockchain. And at that point, I uh, started reading aggressively, uh, subscribing to crypto Twitter and everything else. I uh, decided this, that's what I wanted to do full time. So I, I left Strategy Consulting in January 2018 and decided to join Coinbase uh, in London to help build out the institutional business uh, in, in the region. So that's been my journey to, uh, to date. Nice one. It seems to be a common thread that we find often we chat with folks in the space. They've gone out into countries, not necessarily where they were born or grew up with, travel a lot and they see the different use cases for the technology and kind of see this potential in the background. Uh, coming from management consulting then, if you could say like one thing, and maybe there's many, but let's settle with one. What's your favorite thing of it about having moved into the crypto space, given your background? Yeah, it's, it's funny that you said that because there, there definitely is a, a lot more to want. And to your point, kind of making that transition, kind of the entry point for crypto to me was trading, right? And then sitting in Kenya, sitting in the bush with Maasai warriors, it was them using mobile phones to pay for cattle, which kind of blew my mind. And so like, I guess linking that to like why, why crypto is so different from management consulting or sales and trading or investment banking that I've been in. It's, it's, I mean, probably everyone would say the same thing, but it's just the pace of innovation, right? I've never worked in an industry where you're building as you're going in real time and kind of figuring out as you go, uh, whereas management consulting is kind of very much the opposite, right? It's kind of a tried and true use, using a frameworks or kind of benchmarks or whatever it may be to kind of arrive at a solution and kind of always going back to, to first principles. So kind of complete opposite in terms of organized chaos, that is the beauty of uh, crypto, which I'm sure you two can relate to and kind of what you enjoy as well. Nice, indeed. Well, as I said, it's great to have you. Speaking of organized chaos, or maybe just chaos, the last week saw a really very noteworthy event in the crypto space where trial and error is the norm and uh, failures pop up from time to time. Uh, last week saw the implosion of a lunar cryptocurrency the UST stablecoin to which it was uh, in tandem with as part of a peg. And then the, the Terra blockchain network was eventually turned off when dust had settled and everything had gone to zero. I mean, really a spectacular implosion. Uh, billions and billions of US dollar equivalent uh, disappearing within 48 hours. I imagine this caught a lot of people's attention, even those who don't follow the space very closely. But knowing one person who does follow the space very closely, Cami, uh, do you want to try and frame for the listeners like uh, what Luna is, what UST is, and maybe just like a chain of events that unfolded quickly last week? Sure. Um, so, you know, this uh, Terra implosion has really been, um, I think, one of the biggest stories in crypto in a while. Uh, it's, it's pretty historic what we're witnessing here. Um, just the, the the crash of a project so big, uh, so fast, I don't think we've, we've seen before. Um, and so what is Terra? Uh, Terra is um, a standalone blockchain. It's part of the Cosmos ecosystem, um, but it's, it's its own layer one. Um, it has a, a volatile token called Luna and a stablecoin 
called UST. And this stablecoin is different from something like USDC, which is backed by um, by dollars, by like fiat currency stored in a bank. Uh, it's different from DAI, which is over collateralized with crypto assets. Um, UST is backed by the Luna stablecoin, um, and it's backed by an algorithm which controls um, the, the supply of UST in the market. Um, and it's kind of this, this algorithm that helps it maintain its $1 peg. So it's part of this group of stablecoins called um, algorithmic stablecoins. Um, so there's like a mint and burn mechanism uh, where uh, traders of the Luna volatile token are able to uh, redeem $1 worth uh, of USD uh, whenever the peg goes above or beyond. So uh, that arbitrage is supposed to bring USD uh, back to peg. Um, so the problem here is that this system really depends on Luna having a value uh, at all. Because if you know if there's even if you're redeeming uh, for for trillions of, of Luna, um, if Luna is worth zero, then there's nothing to hold the USD's value, and that effectively is what we saw um, happen uh, last week. There was, uh, you know, this was obviously in the context of just like a broad market sell-off, not just in crypto but everywhere. Um, markets and, and especially risky assets started selling off. Uh, Luna price uh, was uh, was crashing. Um, that spooked traders. Um, there was uh, some kind of big sell orders of UST, and um, and then you know that led to UST losing its peg somewhat on Monday. Um, and then things just spiraled. When when people saw that USD was below its peg, uh, Luna continued to sell off. USD started to fall further below its peg, and it was just like this bank run, really, this spiral of death. Um, and so, you know, some of the the remedies that that happened were um, the Terra community, uh, led by Do Kwan, uh, the the founder. Um, decided to increase inflation of Terra to to back, uh, sorry, inflation of Luna to be able to back um, USC, um, and that just it was just incredible watching Luna supply just like skyrocket into the trillions. Uh, but you know that didn't help. Um, then there was the 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 Luna the Terra Foundation selling off. Uh, billions of dollars worth in Bitcoin, which it had uh, as reserves in case something like this happened. That didn't help us proposed uh, forking the Terra blockchain, basically starting over without uh, a stable coin in this case. So kind of like scrapping this kind of algorithmic stablecoin idea for now. And the market is still grappling with this. We're still kind of seeing the ripple effects with algorithmic stablecoins across the board, just like going off their pegs as well, because people are, are, are losing confidence um, in this entire sector uh, of crypto. Nice, indeed. Algorithmic stablecoin, relatively experimental ideas, uncollateralized. And uh, you mentioned that uh, there's still ripples going out through the ecosystem. 
This US dollar pegged token segment, the stablecoin segment, grew from roughly $6 billion to $160 billion over 2021. So it's come to be a major portion of the market. Drew, I wonder if you've got any thoughts there about like having watched the events last week and having been someone who's followed this space for a while, what do you think was kind of, we know the chain of events that, that led to the unwinding of the, the, the network and the currency, but what, what could have been behind it? Yeah, I think that, well, I think, I think a couple of things, right? I think taking a step back uh, in, in terms of like some of the lessons learned, it's one, you know, when a, when a project or a stablecoin tries to act as a central government, right? It, it obviously didn't work out this time. You realize that you don't have the taxing power uh, of government. You realize you necessarily don't have the military power to kind of reinforce uh, some of some of these uh, these pegs or, like I said, the actual kind of raw assets that are sitting behind them, right? So in, in some respects, it was... Um, a lesson 101 in economics, right? Kind of going back to, uh, to, to, to first principles. Outside of that, also, it was for the stablecoin sector, like liquidity and sovereignty concerns became really, really apparent, right? And so I, I think that like in terms of what was happening is that you probably there were people that were looking out there, either retail investors, institutional investors, and obviously there was rumors circulating uh, who could have been behind it and some of the names that were floated just didn't make sense and we can talk about why they didn't make sense in the various reasons but people saw an opportunity obviously to uh to exploit the the arbitrage and kind of continue to to weaken the project right and anytime you're in unprecedented markets like how we are now from a risk off uh scenario what you see is kind of the the wolves that kind of go hunting for like the, the next week prey afterwards and uh, as Kevin mentioned next was kind of tether which although uh the mechanism behind tether is very different you saw the DPEG right on Thursday, which prompted the CTO to come out and provide a bit more transparency around like the uh, the reduction that they've done in the last few months over their exposure to uh, commercial paper, swapping that out for for treasuries, uh, and then you kind of also then realize you start to say, okay, well, you know, if you believe the accounts for each other, then it, it really becomes almost impossible that someone's going to be able to you know borrow forty billion dollars or whatever it might be that they have in USD to be able to start to break that bag. But uh, very quickly, you just, in an opportunistic market, you see people looking to go to the next kind of weak lend, uh, similar to like the 2008 financial crisis, right? It started off with one bank and then on to the next. And that's what we saw kind of going through the stablecoin sector. But I think zooming out, the, the, the kind of key message here is that not all stablecoins are created equal, right? That's the, the key to take away. Absolutely. So what's interesting is in a space where people worry a lot about hacking and cybersecurity challenges, Actually, good old economics, demand and supply, almost a bank run dynamic. I wrote a note this week that people can find on the Wisdom Tree website, uh, sharing my thoughts on the event. And, and the title I chose was A Depegging That Soros Would Be Proud Of, in an allusion to Soros going after the Thai Baht and the Great British Pound. I mean, all that's done ha happened here is you've moved these systems onto crypto rails, but it's the same force of economics, demand and supply. Uh, are still there. And uh, so going forward then, uh, Cammy, you mentioned like it shed, this sent shockwaves throughout the stablecoin segment and folks are worried about the segment like continuing to exist. What lessons can folks take away from this in a world where not all stablecoins are created equally and uh, in a world where there is just tremendous demand for these kind of crypto US dollars? Yeah, I, I think um the the key takeaway is to you know is investors should um 
be aware of how the stable coin that they're holding is uh, is structured uh, because something uh, like like Terra, if you look closely into it, you 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 know you you could see that it's backed by this very volatile token Luna. It's not over collateralized. It depends on demand for Luna, um, and so you know you could conclude from that that uh, demand for Luna doesn't necessarily always have to be there, like like it wasn't last week. Um, but then something like um, USDC or all the other kind of fiat-backed stablecoins have a much lower kind of degrees of, of risk. Uh, you know, like you you can um, you you can see kind of statements that show that uh, they are actually backed by dollars in the bank. Uh, like you can redeem one USDC for one uh, US dollar, um, or at least kind of the. I don't think kind of any retail uh, uh, USDC holder can, but the the issuers uh, can, um, and and so on. There's like there's different degrees of of risk that uh, you can take um, as an investor. With Tether, um, you know, the, it's it's true that it's been under uh, a lot of kind of uh, skepticism and, and scrutiny because of the fact that they once claimed that they were fully backed by US dollars, but then after um, an investigation surfaced that showed that they actually, tethers weren't fully backed by, by US dollars, but still it's about 70% uh, cent back, 70% uh, backed, um, and with a combination of US dollars and treasuries and commercial paper. So you can kind of assess the degree of risk that you want to um, add uh, to that. But I think, you know, maybe to use tether can be worth 0.99 cents but i don't think in any case anyone would think that it's it's a lot anything lower than that um, um and and so yeah i think that's that's the the key takeaway that not all stable coins are created equal um but that you know there are some uh some reliable stable coins that uh, traders can rely on to play in in the crypto market and that's that's a very important, um, you know, it, that's just like a very important uh, piece that that traders can um, can rely on uh, because uh, you know right now stablecoins do account for the majority of trading in crypto. So if if there was a, any kind of real doubt that stablecoins aren't aren't safe, I think you know that would completely undermine the entire uh, undermine the entire space but again um i don't think that's the case uh the, the tether usc even die um uh, all of those stable coins are uh you know several degrees of magnitude uh, safer than something uh, like like usc and and some other under collateralized stable coins exactly so collateralization is important transparency is important sometimes a regulated entity will be issuing these things. That doesn't mean an algorithmic stable coin is, is bad in itself. Make a die is over collateralized as an algorithmic stable coin. So you've got to kind of do your own homework as always, but as you say, they're not all created equally. I do notice the USDC stable coin is eating market share off Tether. And uh, I know who uh, issues the USDC stable coin, that's Circle, they're fully audited financial statements. I also know Drew being a Coinbase 
uh, will be within one degree of separation from all of that. Drew, you folks at Coinbase think a lot about this. I know you list a few different stable coins, and I also know that you think a lot about regulations, which is probably going to be one of the big major changes that comes out of this lunar UST incident. Do you have any thoughts you want to share around uh, USDC, around collateralized stable coins, and maybe the regulatory implications of what we've seen last week? Yeah, I think that just like, you know, with USDC overall, uh, you know, first and foremost, it's always been, let's make sure that we're super transparent in terms of, uh, you know, the assets that are backing, make sure that it's the right kind of legal language there. It's held uh, in, to your point, regulated bank accounts that are onshore in regulated jurisdictions, right? So it's always been that highest level of transparency possible. Uh, the statements, are, the accounts are audited on a monthly basis. You can find them on the USDC website, et cetera. So again, I think that, you, you know, Coinbase's ethos is always to be the most trusted and easy to use, right? And with that trust comes like that level of security and comfort, right? So always being able to raise the bar and be as transparent as possible. And then hopefully by doing that, getting others in the industry to, to you know, at least meet us at the bar, if not set it higher. Uh, to that point, I think that when it comes to the, the likes of Tether versus what happened last week with uh, USDT and Luna, I think that also uh, just given the, the size of Tether, like you said, USDC has started to gain market share, is that there's a lot of uh, vested interest from the crypto community also for Tether not to, not to go up, right? I think there's a lot of exchanges, et cetera, that would need to step in if that peg uh, to Cammy's point, ever did break down kind of below the 99 cent, 98 cent level, whatever it may be versus the dollar. So I think that's super interesting in terms of when you do have that that scale and that size and you become too uh, systematically important to fail, what would need what would need to happen? And then I guess, uh, Ben, just to your third point in terms of uh, regulation and, and transparency going forward, I, I would like to think that it changes. I just don't know like necessarily at what speed or what pace that it changes, right? Because even after a lot of the fear and kind of a certainty that developed around Tether over the last call it 18, 24 months, uh, you still had Luna kind of come out, right, and gain a sizable amount of, of market share, a sizable amount of, uh, of assets that were uh, allocated towards it. So I think that, you know, we probably unfortunately need to wait until there's very clear and cut regulation that's at a global level, not necessarily, you know, coordinated policy, but at least kind of from the major jurisdictions where these projects are springing up from where assets are held that, you know, at the end of the day, even if it is decentralized, to some degree, there is uh, a person, a group of people that can be liable behind these projects. And so I think that's probably longer term to, to play out. I, I wouldn't potentially be surprised, you know, if before we kind of get clear regulatory uh, guidelines and, and, uh, and lanes that, you know, there's another project that can come out that this may happen. In. And so I think it goes right back to that point of kind of doing your homework and making sure you understand because right now we're in the down market and everything looks depressed and you know there's gonna be a lot of things washed out outside of Luna probably in the coming weeks and months and then we'll get into that next hype cycle and that'll be the next thing that kind of gets everyone excited and we'll, we'll be here again in some maybe not necessarily with stable coins but some other uh, look or form that that's familiar so I think that again you know kind of going back to my original comment in terms of the pace of innovation, which gets me excited about this sector and kind of assembling things in real time. Unfortunately, I think that as that continues to outpace um, regulation until we kind of get regulation to keep up with the sector, these things, these kind of stops and starts may unfortunately keep happening. And it just kind of comes down to making sure you kind of have a one-on-one -on -one understanding of, of what you're investing in or what you're allocating your, your, uh, your capital towards. And going back to 
you know, some of the basics when it comes to economics. You know, we're seeing economics in a tokenized kind of new digital form, but some of those fundamental principles hold uh, very, very true. Absolutely. Well, the U.S. Department of the Treasury released a paper on stablecoins last November. The U.K. Treasury has said that they're going to bring stablecoins under the existing regulatory umbrella. I just suspect those administrative actions now pick up pace. Uh, in any case, listeners should uh, check out the Defiant.io. There's tons of articles there, all up to date, uh, looking at this issue. Uh, you should check out my note as well at wisdomfree.com. Uh, DPEG and Soros would be proud of. Uh, for all of the latest on that topic. Drew, you were saying that everyone is super depressed right now. I'm not depressed, I feel okay. But <laughs> uh, it's true that the last six months have not been the most exciting, certainly not nearly as hype-filled as the previous six months. Um, in, in finance land, they call this risk-off sentiment. And we've seen basically since December of last year through to uh, recent months that the digital asset markets have kind of been contracting as a whole, as the whole market. Uh, can you kind of run us through from where you're sitting and people you speak to, uh, some of the reasons you think that this is occurring, some of the reactions, maybe some of the reasons that you think folks are getting so pe pessimistic, because I think that'll form a basis for us to, to trace out what, what the space might look like over the next six months. Yeah, I think like I think that's a good point, right? Kind of like I guess taking us back to the previous six months to see where we're we're coming from is that you know kind of like year to date thinking about it from that perspective is that crypto markets really are in the midst of like a cyclical downturn pretty much, and I think that this started uh, in earnest probably December of last year, right? So a lot of that is being uh, carried on for kind of lack, lack of better words, uh, and we're stuck between the macro environment, right? So crypto has now kind of been placed neatly inside of kind of all assets and it's not, it's, it's, it's not uncorrelated. We've come back to kind of that, that argument, but within the macro environment today, it's kind of the weaker global growth, you know, particularly hitting uh, regions like Europe, uh, UK a, a bit harder, uh, as well as higher inflation, right? That we saw, we saw kind of the print come out uh, above 8% last week in, in the US, right? So with that being said, like, 2022 has just so far been really a, a carryover of what was happening late last year. Uh, and like from a crypto specific perspective, that's been like the, the rise of like the alternative like layer ones. It's been like the explosion in NFTs, right, that we've seen. Uh, it's been like the Web3 build out and kind of the hope for the US improving a BTC ETF. So I think that one of the issues been like from a crypto perspective is like we haven't seen that narrative shift. Right? So there's been no extra juice in that macro backdrop to get people uh, excited about the space. What, one thing I did come across that was pretty interesting, one step that I came across was that institutional flows into the space have still continued at pretty good rates, right? So the block put out um, a report and it said that venture funding uh, that was received from the crypto space uh, in Q1 of this year was at 12 and a half billion, right? So up 20% from Q4 of last year. So I think that like, that was interesting, and I'm sure those numbers are, are probably going to come down, but there's still institutions allocating to the space. So I think that kind of framing that in, in terms of, you know, what, what really happened the last uh, few weeks in crypto, it's been, one, not much has changed from a narrative perspective from what we've seen last year in a really tough macro environment. So now you have this super liquid asset class, and then what we've seen, what that's translated to has been like, 
indiscriminate selling across the board, right? And that doesn't matter if you're like a macro hedge fund or VC or family office economy. Across all the segments we deal with, that's what we've seen. Uh, kind of moments of, uh, of capitulation without sounding too, too dramatic, right? Now we're holding up around the 30,000 level, but at the same time, uh, crypto or kind of Bitcoin in particular is at this all-time high correlation versus the U.S. Uh, equities, right? And so I think that we're, we're kind of in a situation where most likely kind of, I guess, optimistic we would be kind of range bound a bit for the next few months between 30 to 40,000 or kind of, you know, worst case scenario, if, if equities continue to drift lower, we can easily see, uh, see the asset class obviously dip, dip lower on the back of that. So I think that that's, you know, where we've been kind of year to date, some of the lessons that have been learned. And then, you know, I, I think that kind of on the flip side of that and then kind of hand it over to you or have to keep going, talk about like, what does that mean uh, for the next six months to come in 2022? Yeah, it's true. Crypto doesn't exist in its own island anymore. Uh, it's now kind of more interconnected with not just the traditional financial system, but kind of global economy. And so it's not surprising that we'd see kind of these interactions. It is interesting that equities are being pulled down, bonds are being pulled down. So good night, 60-40 portfolio. Tech stocks are being pulled down, like everything but commodities is getting hammered, uh, even if digital assets are not equities or commodities. Uh, so I can see why folks on the outside would be uh, getting so gloomy, but I'll tell you who wasn't gloomy. It was the 5,000 open source developers I met at, the, well, I didn't meet them, but they were around at the Ethereum Amsterdam Dev Connect a few weeks ago. Uh, they have plenty of funding that they've received from venture capital. And I think that that's an interesting contrast between this kind of gloomy financial asset class look at this, and then the actual people on the ground building things Cami, I know that you spend a lot of time around the Ethereum community. I know that you track the DeFi and NFT segments a lot. Are people there nearly as depressive as uh, they seem to be very optimistic? And why are they optimistic? Well, I think it's it's important to uh, you know in 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 bear markets look look at what uh, builders are doing, um, and that just gives you a, a great signal about where the space is heading. Um, I, I always kind of tell this uh, this anecdote on when I was writing the Infinite Machine. So I wrote the Infinite Machine in the middle of kind of this really long crypto winter of 2018 and 2019. Um, and I, I remember I went to kind of uh, quit at Bloomberg uh, in January of 2019 um, because I wanted to finish writing the Infinite Machine and become an independent writer and so on. Um, and one of kind of the older reporters pulled up the ETH chart, which was like, I don't know, below a hundred at that point, I think. Um, and he was like, really? Like you're writing a book about this? Um, but you know, I was really confident about what I was doing because I was going to all the conferences and all the meetups and just seeing how each meetup and each hackathon had more people than the previous one. And seeing kind of all the projects uh, that being that that were being built, I mean, it was a time when when DeFi emerged, 2018, 2019. Um, so we're seeing kind of the same thing happening now. Yeah, like prices are down, uh, but true builders aren't going anywhere. Uh, so East Denver had like 8,000 people. Um, uh, the Dev Connect event in Amsterdam had 5,000 people. Uh, there's going to be uh, ETH New York in June, NFT NYC 
uh, they're expecting like also like something crazy, like 10,000 people or so. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, if, if there's like one bright spot that you can look at is these kind of Ethereum and other layer ones, um, uh, hackathons and, and what uh, developers are building there. Yep. And as you say, like the DeFi applications that formed part of the wave of DeFi summer two years ago were all being built in the crypto winter in 2018. So sometimes the builders need things to be quiet so they can actually build things that are useful. Uh, and uh, maybe that's why they're so happy now. There's less hype and they can just get on with what they like doing as building things. Drew, I noticed that Coinbase has added some DeFi integrations this week. I like to see things like that because it basically takes what used to be a difficult thing to do, engage with DeFi, and puts it in people's hands in a way they can use. You want to tack on any thoughts about kind of products you guys are releasing and what it might mean for DeFi adoption or uh, in terms of having some positivity in a space where prices are depressed? Yeah, I think my guy, uh, you know, obviously limited on what I can say from like a product roadmap perspective, but there's obviously been uh, some great developments around uh, things like Coinbase Pay or whatever, kind of integrating seamlessly into, into the various wallets, like from an SDK perspective and our commerce offering, uh, there's been a lot coming out uh, as well, as you mentioned, kind of just like linking the Coinbase wallet to the, the DeFi universe. And I guess like what I will say is that, again, like and I hate to like keep emphasizing this, but I think it's important because, you know, all of us either haven't been in crypto for the amount of time that we have or coming from traditional financial markets, these cycles are, are somewhat normal. And so to your point, uh, Ben, I think you, you flagged it earlier. That was pretty interesting is that I, I'm not so much depressed. I, I think that was one of those things like where last week uh, I was in Madrid for a conference and I was speaking on a panel at the same time as uh, Luna and everything was transpired in real events and getting kind of peppered with these questions that I, I didn't even have time to like digest, right? So I was, I was kind of on, on the panel as it, was, uh, as, it was, as it was happening. And to me, like I was... When I, when I got off, I kind of saw what was happening in the price action. I was surprisingly calm. I guess this is like probably like my third or so crypto cycle or so. And so I think that like when you have like unprecedented times, all assets, as we know, go to like a correlation of one. And like what I come back to is like, you know, you have to respect the market uh, in terms of whatever that market may be that you're, you're operating in. And that means, you know, being patient and being tactical. And like right now, I just goes over in a period where, you know, we have to wait for uh, consolidation, right? And I don't know exactly when that'll come, but it, it will come and that will present opportunities. And then again, also like wash out a lot of the, the froth. And to your point, there's a lot of great teams out there, you know, our, I guess no, I know specifically for us, like our product teams are internally working hits down, right? And so what we've seen time and time again is that these downturns are a great chance to learn, right? So like what I would encourage the audience to do or for, for anyone to do People, you know, a lot of my friends included, uh, you know, after they got tired of hearing me bending on and being like the, the crypto evangelist, they're like, well, you know, it's not 40,000, it's not 60,000, and we missed the, the cycle, right? And like, when's the next time the next time to buy? And like, that time may not be today, but you now have it a lot closer to, to where you wanted it versus when we were at 40, 50, or 60,000. So like, I encourage people to kind of learn by doing, right? And so to your point, you know, download Coinbase Wallet, download MetaMask Wallet, whatever wallet it is, and kind of play, you know, put through a, a trade with a, a decentralized exchange, go out and buy a, a cheap NFT that gotten cheaper now and then moved into your wallet and see how it works. But I think that crypto winters are, are great. And like, what do we always say for a company is it really kind of allows for real work to be done uh, and kind of for the advancements in tech to be made. To be made. So 
you know, yeah, like looking at your portfolio, look at the price action, you don't feel great, but kind of knowing what will come out the other end is, is, is pretty exciting. Indeed. And space is, uh, for people who are, didn't turn up yesterday, they've been through these kinds of cycles before. We've seen plenty of outrageous things over the years, so tolerance for these things is a bit higher. I could see why folks who turned up recently see events like the past week and it sends kind of a shudder through them. You step back and you take a look, not just at the broader macro picture where everything's getting hammered, then you also think through, like, there's plenty of folks going and building. Whatever they build is going to form the next set of opportunities uh, in this space. The space is much bigger than Bitcoin, and that wasn't true four years ago, was it? Thank you for listening to part one of our latest Crypto Clarified podcast. Stay tuned for part two, in which we'll be tackling key educational topics, as well as debunking some of the popular misconceptions around cryptocurrencies in our Crypto Myth Buster session.